Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that there are three things that will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And it even tells us which one is the most important. Love. I, as I reflected on my years in Christianity, I've heard a lot about love. I've heard a lot of messages about love. I've shared a lot of messages about love. I've read a lot about the subject of love. And, and as I think about my time in Christianity, I see entire movements have been built on the concept of faith. But I haven't heard a lot about hope. I, I, you don't hear many messages on hope. You don't read much in Christian literature necessarily specifically on hope. And so you can tell that there's sort of a missing understanding of what hope is, what it means... By the way that we use it. We talked about it some last week. Sort of like a wish. I, I, I hope this works out. I'm, it's kind of like I, I wish it works out. I wish you well. I, I hope so. Several years ago, uh, Parade Magazine ran a very interesting story about a safe, self-made millionaire named Eugene Land. Eugene Land was asked to speak to 59 sixth graders in East Harlem, Middle school. 69 sixth graders. Almost the entire group was African American or Puerto Rican. And he was a self-made millionaire who was just a white guy. He was asked to come and speak to this group. And he was thinking, what am I going to... What can I even say to get the group to even... I mean, how do I relate? And, and the more he thought about it, that group, uh, what to say to him... He's standing behind stage, and he just threw all his notes away. And he walked out on stage, and he just decided to speak from his heart. And he said, stay in school, and I'll pay every one of your tuitions through college. That sixth grade class was a part of a school system in East Harlem that had a terrible dropout rate. That class was tracked. 90% of that group graduated high school. Do you know why? They had hope. One of the students said, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. Faith has to do with power. Love has to do with motive. Hope has to do with endurance. Faith has to do with power. Love has to do with motive. Hope has to do with endurance. How did, how did those kids in a system where the grade below them and the grade after them all had the same graduation rate that the school had ever had? How did those kids at 12 years old in sixth grade endure the next six years of school and graduate at a 90% rate? They had hope. They had hope. Hope's not a wish. Hope's not optimistic thinking. It's not looking on the bright side. Real hope is an expectation based on a fact. Last week we talked about real hope lives. This morning I want to share with you for a few minutes, real hope holds. Real hope holds. Hope's not really something that, that we hold on to. Hope is really something that holds on to us. 
It grabs hold of us. You don't, I don't want to say possesses, but it sort of possesses us. It sort of grabs onto us. Let me give you the simplest definition of hope that I know. Let me give you the simplest, if you're taking notes, write this down. The simplest definition of hope that I know. God's presence. To be separated from God's presence is to be hopeless. God's presence is hope. God's presence is hope. We shared last week, Paul said, if we have hope for eternity, then we have hope now. But if we only have hope for eternity, you should feel sorry for us. You should pity us. We don't have any hope now. But future hope, eternal hope, is God's presence for the future. Present hope is God's presence now. As long as God is alive, as long as God is with you and I, we have hope. God's presence will cause you to endure all the storms of life. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, 19 and 20. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let me just explain for a minute what happened, what this verse means and what happened in the Old Testament. God gave the children of Israel a physical way to know that his presence was with them. He had them build a temple. And that temple had three basic divisions inside of it. It had the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And every Jew knew where God's presence lived. It lived inside the holy of holies, in the inner chamber, where no one was allowed to go. There was the outer place, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. And and that was the physical sign and the symbol of the new covenant, covenant to come. That God was with them, his presence was with them, and it was inside that inner room. Behind, and there was a veil, a curtain, Hebrew says, a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. Inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, were the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. On top of the Ark was the mercy covering. And in the Holy of Holies, the Israelite would have understood that that's where God's presence lived. Once a year, the high priest was allowed to go in. He would, he would come from the outer court. He would go into the holy place. He would slaughter a lamb in the holy place. Then he would take the blood of that lamb deep into the holy of holies. And he would offer that blood for the, for the sacrifice for the sins of the people. He could only go in under stringent conditions. He could only go in one time a year and nobody else had access to it. Now, let me say to you what Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 explains about that. Flip over now to New Testament thinking. This verse says that there's an anchor behind the curtain. There's an anchor behind the veil. Someone has slipped in this word forerunner that you may have in your translation in Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. When Jesus died, he became the forerunner. That verse, that word has three different meanings in Greek. The first one is, it means to be a scout. To, to scout out an area to see if it's okay. Jesus went in, listen, Jesus went into the Holy of Holies and he scouted it out. 
to see if it was all right in there. The second one is one who rushes in. Jesus went in and basically broke the place, and it's never been the same since. He wrecked it. And then the third one is a pioneer. Jesus was the first one who went in and made a way for us to go. So I basically say it like this. Jesus saw the way, he went the way, and he led the way. And the Old Testament priest in the, in the, in the Old Covenant physically went into that inner room. But now, but now watch. Jesus, when he stretched his arms out and died on the cross, and he looked up into heaven and said, it's finished. Jesus spiritually went in behind that curtain, tore it from top to bottom, and made a way for you and I to go in. Now, now what does all that mean? I mean, I just explained what, what happened. But what happened? Just because you know what happened doesn't mean you know what happened. What happened? Let me tell you what happened. Jesus walked in to the Holy of Holies... He took the cross of Calvary with him. He bent the end down into the form of a sharp stick. He made the cross, Hebrews 6.19 says, into the form of an anchor. He drove the spear into that thing, into the soul of God. He pulled the line tight and he tied it around you and me. And that anchor holds. That anchor will hold you. Jesus drove that cross into God's soul and that, that driving, that anchoring, Hebrews calls that cross an anchor of hope. Hope is the anchor we have. You can read in nautical literature, there are three different kinds of anchors that most nautical vessels have on them. One is a lunch anchor. What that means is, is when it's time to eat, you throw it out. And it'll keep you in the general vicinity. It won't let you like drain way off somewhere. You might move a little bit, but it doesn't matter. You're just eating a sandwich. Then there's a work anchor. If you're getting ready to build a a dock or a pier or set a pylon in the ground or something, you put that work anchor down, which is bigger and holds better, and it'll keep you stationary so you work. But there's one other anchor that most nautical vessels have on. When the water's starting to rise and the wind's blowing, and the waves are getting choppy, and you don't know how bad this thing's going to get, there's an anchor on board called a storm anchor that you throw over. It'll hold you during the storm. The anchor in Hebrews six nineteen is a storm anchor. It'll hold you into God's presence no matter what else happens in your life. Real hope holds. It sticks And it holds and your soul is safe in Jesus. And it gives you a direct line of access into his presence. Now, if if I'm saying to you real hope is God's presence. What's the big deal? You know, in the way we do church, you hear the word God's presence a lot. God's presence. God's presence. God's presence was there. I think sometimes... You can get to a point where you use something so much it doesn't it loses its meaning. What does it mean? What does it mean? 
What does it mean God's presence was there? What, is it, what does it mean that I'm saying to you that the anchor of hope is God's presence? What's the big deal with God's presence? Let me tell you what the big deal with God's presence is. When God carved Adam out of dirt and formed him into a human shell, God reached over and the Bible says he breathed the Ruach of God into Adam's lifeless body and Adam bounced and Adam lived. In the New Testament, when Jesus' disciples were following him, he turned around and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he blew the pneuma of God on them. Inside Adam's lungs, as they expanded and contracted, as they moved with the breath of God, it was the, it was the breath of God inside Adam that gave him life. Even as you sit here this morning and you involuntarily breathe, the fact that air is moving back and forth through your lungs tells you that God is present. In Him we live and move and have our being. God's presence is hope. How would you be alive if there wasn't God's presence? Adam was just a carcass. He had every cell, every organ, every, every bone, every body part he needed to be alive. He just wasn't. Life comes from God's presence. Real life. Do you understand this morning? We're basically just a big uh, little league sports club if God's presence isn't with us. This is just a meeting. We're just people in a room. We have a mortgage. We have an electric bill. We, we have an order. We have a time we start. We have a time we end. We have a day we meet. We have every other factor that every other meeting in this country has. A federal government, local government, state government, organization, volunteer group. We have everything everybody else has. What's the difference? There's only one thing that makes a difference. It's God's presence. If God's not present... Then it's the same thing. God's presence is what makes the difference. And God's presence is hope. How do you make it through? I mean, you got that moment where you say, man, I just didn't know if I was going to get through that or not. And you look back and you say, but God was there. But God was there. God was with me. I see it now. Whether I felt it then or not, I see it now. God, hope has to do with endurance. When the storms of life blow, what will help you endure through those things? What will help you overcome all that life does to you? It's the presence of God. It's His presence that comes and breathes new life on you and you say, I'm strong again. Okay, okay. I think I can go through this again. I, wanna, I know I've shared this story before. I want to share it one more time with you. Many of you know, um, I guess coming up on five years ago, Stacy and I lived in, Gulfport when Hurricane Katrina struck and 
I, there's no way for me to ever... I mean, if, it's not time. It, time's not our limitation here. If I had hours, I don't know that I could ever find the words to explain to you um, what that means. What, what the aftermath of a disaster on that scale is like. It's not the storm. That's over in hours. It's like the three or four years after where you're trying to find your life, where your brain doesn't work right, where, you, where you're emotionally um, cycling through waves of different things. It's when life around you becomes foggy month in and month out and month in and month out. There's no way for me to ever explain it. I'm not sure I understand it. About a year and a half after that, we, we had um, talked to the doctor and uh, one of our kids, our youngest son, Tyler, was sick. It's about four. And the doctor said, bring him in. Uh, he called us on the phone and said, bring him in. It was a Saturday. He said, bring him in. I, gotta, I, I need to see him. And he wouldn't tell us why. And we went over there and um, they did a test. And he said, okay, th- I was suspicious of this, but I didn't want to say anything until I knew. Your son has diabetes. And so we said... What does that mean? And um, by five o'clock that evening, we were in the emergency room at the hospital. We were on a you know IV and all this, and and uh, then we were there for for several hours trying to understand what just happened. Then the next day, we're in the hospital. We're in the hospital about six days. For six days, five or six days, we're in the hospital, and the doctor looks at us and says, "Look, your son's ready to go home, but you you can't take him home because you don't know how to take care of him." And he was right. We didn't have a clue how to take care of him. We had no foggy idea. And so they had specialists coming in, dietitian, nutritionalist, uh, uh, pediatric, um, endocrinologist, uh, different fields of people were coming through just giving us seminars in the room as much as we could stand. And, and the whole reason that we found out he even had it is because he had double pneumonia. So he's on an IV in a little crib and double pneumonia in the hospital room. We're trying to figure out what just hit us. We're still in the fog after Hurricane Katrina. And, and then on Monday, our oldest son, who was having panic attacks and not sleeping at night because of all the stuff we went through, uh, he comes down with the flu. <laughs> okay. He has the flu. And so I, I, I don't know if, if you've had a child in the hospital, you, you don't even know what day it is. You know, you're just up there every hour you can get and you're back and forth. You know how all that goes. And so you're, you're up there trying to care for everybody. Stacy's staying with Tyler. I'm with the older one who's got the flu, trying to figure it all out. I go to the um, doctor and I say, he's, he's got a fever, he's getting sick. All right, he's got the flu. We go to the pharmacy to get his medicine. While we're in the pharmacy waiting for it to happen, to get the medicine, we get the medicine and come out and he's got 102 fever. We're sitting there in the car. I go to crank it and it won't work. <laughs> I think, okay, who did I make mad? I mean, what, what have I done? So we're sitting there in the parking lot in front of Walmart and Gulfport with the heat baking on us. I call somebody to come pick me up. 45 minutes later, they're not there. They forgot. I'm like, you just forgot? I mean, really? Like you forgot? I am a friendless human, apparently. So we finally get everything straight. I get him home, get him on medicine, go back up to the hospital. I'm sitting there talking to the doctors and the people. And 
and, and uh, the night before I went home, my computer crashed. I couldn't even pay my bills, so they're all going to be late now. The whole thing was just wadded up, you know what I'm saying? And, I, and, I, I'm, I'm, and you know, at that moment, you, you want to uh, tell somebody all the things they ought to be doing. I didn't have time to do any of that. I didn't have time to develop a theology on healing or suffering or demons or angels or anything. I had to survive. I just had to feed kids and fix the car and get to the hospital and give medicine and move. It's all I had time to do. And, and that Wednesday night, I can remember coming down the elevator. Just, just so many emotions going through me. You know, God, feeling guilty? Couldn't I? Did we cause this? Is there something we could have done to prevent it? Feeling frustrated? because there, I knew there was nothing I could do to change it. Just, just a surge of emotion shooting through me. Tired, my brain still fried, the church trying to recover. I remember coming down the elevator and walking out in the parking garage. And as soon as I opened that door, some goofball guy had his car over there parked in the corner of this concrete six-level parking garage with the doors open, just jamming music. Blah, 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 blah. I think, what is he doing? And I want to tell you something. I'm just going to tell you what happened. That guy was jamming praise and worship music. And as I walked out that garage door, I'll never forget it as long as I live. God met me on the threshold of that door. That music started seeping into my very soul. And I said, God, there you are. There you are. And I was walking across the parking lot. I didn't know the song. But that music was coming into my spirit. And I just started weeping. I said, God, there you are, Lord. There you are. There you are. And I just started worshiping. There you are, God. Got in my car just crying all the way home. Saying, Lord, there you are. You don't want to, you want to know why I say God's presence is hope? <laughs> because it is. It's an anchor that is sunk into the soul of God. And when the line of life pops tight. How would you know how strong the anchor was. If your boat didn't feel the waves of life. It'll hold. So many times. I hear stories like this. And and uh, you know, we have a predetermined idea about how they're supposed to turn out. What restored my soul in that moment was not that I found out he had been misdiagnosed. It wasn't that the doctor came in and said, hey, we just found a new procedure that's going to fix him by next week. Because this morning when we got up, before we ate breakfast... We gave him another shot. He's not fixed. It's not gone. What gave me hope, listen to me, what gave me hope was not that anything changed. What gave me hope was that I realized in that moment life could never do anything to me that would take God's presence from me. That's what gave me hope. No matter how bad it gets. No matter which demon comes after you next.
No matter what the strategy the enemy is, no matter how hard it is, it'll never separate you. Real hope will hold you. I want to read this verse to you out of the message. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 out of the message. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus running on ahead of us has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us in the order of Melchizedek. Would you stand with me this morning? Every eye closed in this place. Nobody moving around. We're going to transition into a prayer time. This place is going to become a prayer room. Every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you say, I've tried everything that I can think of. And I just don't think my marriage is going to make it. The water's rising and the trees are starting to bend. The storm is blowing in your life. You're hearing you say one deadline is stacking up on top of another one now. And I just can't seem to make. I'm overwhelmed. The things in my life. I can't seem to get it all done. Maybe you're here and the tragedy's over. The, whatever the bad thing is that's going to happen happened. And the only whisper you can hear from the emptiness inside you is why me. You may be standing here today and you just had some tests. The doctor said they're positive. It's time for another surgery. The bills just keep coming in. You don't even want to go to the mailbox anymore. Because the bills keep coming in. And you just don't know how this is going to work out. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come now. Fill the front. As we enter this prayer time. I want to tell you something. Just like when I walked out of that hospital into that parking garage and God met me there. He'll meet you here. I promise you, this morning, He'll meet you here. Hope is here. Because God is here.